Okay. Well, hello to the listeners. My name is Jonathan Mahoney, and I am joined by Abbot George Burke, founder and director of Light of the Spirit Monastery. How are you today, Abbot George? Uh, very fine. Glad to say it's a sunny day, and we're getting ready for winter. Oh, that's good to hear. So <laughs> the first question I have for you today is about the subject of moksha, specifically uh, when you achieve moksha, does that mean you have evolved into an angel and passed human birth, or have you evolved even further beyond the angelic level? Oh, yes, far, far beyond the angelic level. The angelical, the angelic level is only just one step up from uh, our human condition. And uh, beyond that, you, we have worlds and worlds. In fact, uh, let me look at something here that I've got some notes on because I thought this would be a good place to add something in that would have been relevant to the first podcast where we talked about evolution. Oh, okay. Because this is what we're really talking about. There Now, uh, understand there's all kinds of cosmologies and uh, – uh, they they can all be correct in their own way, though they may seem to contradict one another. Like usually you would say, well, there's seven levels. But then there was a big, big argument in the early days of the Theosophical Society. Are there seven levels or are there five levels? Hmm. <laughs> and of course, both were right. Uh, the only thing wrong with both of them was that they were arguing. Uh so you find uh, uh, statements, well, there are 14 worlds or there's 14 upper worlds and 14 lower worlds and so on. And it's all perfectly all right. For example, we talk about having seven chakras. But we've got hundreds of chakras. We don't just have seven. And uh, uh, the main ones we know about, we talk about. But a person say, oh, no, no, you've got 108 chakras to be right. We have 1,008. They all are actually in, located in the astral body and what corresponds to our spine. So anyway, um, nothing I say is a definitive thing, and that is that. Okay. There is perfectly, uh, uh, there are many other um, views. It's, they're perfectly right. That uh, so uh, it's interesting. We we are so used in the West because we want to think in a simplistic manner, because simplistic thinking is lazy thinking, and therefore we want some. We want to ask a question, have somebody give uh, an answer in less than twelve words, and we say, "Oh, okay, now let's go on to the next subject," mm. and that's just not the way. It's not the way the universe is set up. So, having said all that, uh, let me go to this, uh, this, these notes. That just this morning I finally dredged up from something uh, I had written years ago. Okay, the thing is, is there are seven worlds. In Sanskrit, the word is loka. Actually, all right, there are seven worlds are main divisions that the whole range of evolutionary relative existence uh, encompass. 
and you can think of them as rungs on the evolutionary ladder. They also correspond to the seven levels of consciousness that uh, we find even in, in our own chakra system. You see, when we leave our body, the energies gather and they go out uh, the dominant chakra. And that is a gate to the astral or causal levels which correspond to our level of consciousness. And uh, it has to be our continual level of consciousness. There are people in India, they think they'll cheat God. They will ignore God totally. They get sick. They're told they're going to die. And then they say, oh, uh, well, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, say the holy name of God. And then when I die, I'll go to the higher worlds. But it won't really happen. Uh, the Rani Rasmani, this very pious woman who built the great uh, Kali Temple of Dakinesh, where, where Sri Ramakrishna lived, uh, was certainly very religious and a very sincere person. And she hoped this would work that way for her. Well, it didn't. Instead, uh, as she was dying, she suddenly began to complain that her daughter had not signed a certain legal agreement that was necessary for the settlement of her estate. Mm. So she didn't think of Mother Kali. She didn't think of God. She thought of that. Sri Ramakrishna said, people think again, they will fool God. And so the last year of their life, they'll sit with a japa mala and sort of mumble a mantra. But when they're dying, they say, and of course he's speaking of before the days of electricity, uh, they'll say, oh, turn the lamp down. You're wasting the kerosene. <laughs> and, uh, and that'll be the last the last thought. And we know from the Gita, the last thought determines our destiny. So we can't get around it. Everything sums up when it's time to die. And <clears throat> whatever our dominant level of consciousness was, uh, the energies gather into that point and then move out of the body and into the world that corresponds to that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Sorry. That's a, a big footnote. But uh, so this is, this is, this is very much uh, an important thing for us to keep in the mind. Yogi Raj Shamacharan Lahiri used to say, if you don't ask for God to be your summer guest, he won't be your winter guest. Meaning if in the times you're, you're young and healthy and so on, you ignore God, then it doesn't matter how religious you try to get at the end of the life. Uh, in the big summing up, the previous consciousness is going to be what determines uh, our destiny in the next world and later when we come back into this world. So then, that being so, there are seven levels, uh, Burloka, Bhuvaloka, Swarloka, Mahaloka, Jnanaloka, Tapaloka, and Satyaloka. That's from bottom to the top. 
Okay. In Burloka, that means the physical material uh, creation. Of course, the dominant consciousness is that of matter. Bhuvaloka, the dominant consciousness is the consciousness of feeling, emotion, instinct, and not the higher spiritual intuition, but the lower lesser intuition. The third world, Swaraloka, the dominant consciousness is that of sense experience. These worlds are very amazing. The colors are vivid. They can be very beautiful and be very ugly, according to the mentality of the people that live there. But uh, just seeing it, just a person is almost just lost in just the experience, especially the visual experience. The next world is Mahaloka, where the dominant consciousness is thought and reflective perception. This is where the more intellectual type of individual will find themselves after death. Then there's Gyanaloka, where the dominant consciousness is uh, of the very roots of what goes on. I, I have here in my note, fundamental causation. that It means that uh, the Buddhists talk about that. They talk about what they call the word penetration. They mean you put your mind on a thing and you penetrate to or you look deep into it and you see what the whole fundamental workings and the character of it will be. And this includes spiritual intuition. Then the sixth level is Tapaloka, where mastery, mastery of all lesser elements, all lesser levels are, are what you're completely intent on. Now, like we, we control our bodies, but not to the absolute extent, uh, just enough so we can walk, we can run, whatever we need to do. But this is where every single thing is in our consciousness and in our conscious control. This is a level, for those who've uh, read Autobiography of a Yogi, this is a level where Swami Sri Teshwar Giri uh, went after uh, he left the physical world, and there he became a teacher, uh, you know, and guide to those people, and their their great work uh, in that life, which can span thousands of years, is to not know everything that is of their own being, but to have perfect control of it all. Uh, these people are far greater. Those beings at Tapaloka are far, far beyond what most people think when they even think of God. Because our, our view of God is so simplistic. It's um, not God's fault that we don't grasp very much. And then finally, we have the seventh world called Satyaloka. And that's where the dominant consciousness is spirit consciousness and and a total encompassing of spiritual consciousness because that means see the world of truth satya mm. so we have these seven burloka of course is purely material bhuva and swarlokas are astral worlds 
Mahaloka is a mixture of the astral and causal. That is, you understand when I say a world, it's not like when you say a planet. Um, mm-hmm. Think of a continent, and in a continent you have many countries. <clears throat> so that's really, these are vast regions, and within these regions, see, there's not just a place called uh, Swarloka or Mahaloka. There's an area in which you could have thousands upon thousands of subtle gradations of existence in that level. Am I making sense? Yes. Yeah, I, I, you follow me? In other words, uh, you don't won't just say, well, here I am in Mahaloka. No, the first time you get there, you'll be in uh, the first, think of it like, uh, if you could have a super skyscraper with, say, a thousand floors, well, you're on floor number one, and you work on floor number one, and then you go up to floor number two. So you understand, it can take creation cycles. It does take creation cycles for people to get to the highest. And okay. only when you're at the highest do you have liberation, true, full moksha. Now, you can evolve to a point where you don't have to come back to the material world. Then you can evolve to the point where you don't have to come back to the astral world. But and until then, it's a whole system. There's birth, death, birth, death, birth, death. Now, it isn't as awful as it is in the material world. In other words, uh, you spend time in an uh, astral world. And uh, it can be a time for you to move up to a higher level. So you just you just kind of move there. It's like you change a, a shirt or a coat. Okay. And uh, if you have problems there, difficulties, something isn't quite right, wish you may, you find you take a step backwards. You go back down to that level. So it's possible to experience, that's what I mean by birth and death. Uh, in these worlds. I hope I'm not being too complicated, but no, it no. is complicated. You see, the whole problem is we say, let's make it simple. Well, you can't. That'd be like saying uh, to Einstein, well, can't you give me, uh, uh, can't you give me a real simple statement that will encompass all these things you've been telling us about relativity and so on? And, and it won't work. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this is it. And uh, so even Satya Loka, let, let me go back to it. Burloka is purely material. Buva and Swarloka are astral. Mahaloka is a mixture of astral and causal. The lower part is astral. The upper part is causal. And the Jnana and Tapalokas are totally causal worlds. It's just ideation. That, that, that's it. The senses do not function, but the causal world is, or the causal bodies are the roots of uh, the astral bodies. And so uh, the sense of sight is very externalized. Even in the causal world, you can see, but you've got to put uh, quotes around the word see because you don't have any eyes. But you have the concept of it. 
Uh, we can't really uh, figure it out as a rule. Sometimes in meditation, we do get kind of a, a glimpse of this level of existence, uh, but not, not, not usually for very long. So then Satyaloka is, of course, uh, a little bit of it is extremely subtle causal and then all pure consciousness. And so we move upward and downward in the three lower worlds, especially. But once we attain the level of Mahaloka, then we never go back to those worlds that have a very externalized form of birth, death, rebirth, and so on. So uh, spirits in can move between Mahaloka and Gyanaloka, but once they get to Tapaloka, they stay there. They don't go any lower and they work on evolving into Satyaloka, which is the world of the perfectly liberated spirits. And those that are just first there, they're still so close to liberation that they can come into sort of the, the vestibule of, the, of perfect, perfect liberation. So those who are perfectly liberated come back to, when they come back to any lower worlds, that doesn't necessarily mean the, the material world. They could just go down into the causal world, for example, or mm -hmm. further in astral, and they will work there for the upliftment of others. Just as great teachers come and go in the earth plane, so great teachers are continually appearing and doing their work and then going to another sphere in uh, in the uh, in the higher worlds it's like even just here you understand every blade of grass is an individual consciousness moving toward ultimate liberation that, that they haven't people say oh will we ever run out of uh, of people to come here and be born on earth but i really mean it when i say just just a blade of grass, just a seed is, that is a person. Wow. Here, here you visited here, so you know we've got several acres, evergreen trees, and all kinds of plants, whether it's grass, whether it's weeds, whether it's flowers. And every one of these is, is struggling upward. They're sort of asleep. They're not too well aware of it, but they're moving upwards. So, for example, when you stand in our driveway and look down the hill or look up the hill, there are billions of individual consciousnesses just in this area that are moving up the evolutionary ladder very, very slowly, but moving nonetheless. So we are living in a vast field of life, life of all sorts, life of all external forms, life of all internal forms. And it's something that is completely beyond the scope of our consciousness. We, it isn't just that we can't understand God. We can't even understand a blade of grass. Mm. We can't understand this world around us. Uh, only when we can unite with the consciousness behind the worlds, then we know. 
And then we don't understand in the intellectual um, means, in the intellectual sense, we, by almost our experience, uh, then we understand it. Then we know. So th there's all this, this, these infinite layers uh, or levels to, to go through. So it can take many, many creation cycles. All right, this all is a vast expanse from lowest to highest. And in the earlier part, you go up, you go back, you go up, you go back, you go up, you go back. Then you hit a point where you don't go back. You don't regress. You don't have to think, oh, no, I don't want to go down to that particular level where there's this problem or there could even be this form of uh, suffering. Like uh, Sri Teshwaji says, you know, in the conversation in the Autobiography of the Yogi that he had with Yogananda, that uh, even in the higher causal world, just the very awareness of missing the full picture or of comprehending causes pain. Now, of course, it's not physical pain, and it's not big mental uh, pain in a sense of hysterical grief, but even there, you can get a feeling of discontent. That's not perhaps more a better word. Uh, but in the lower worlds where people aren't quite that developed, but they don't have to go down to lesser worlds, Everything is at peace, and it would be like just it's like you're in a body, it doesn't die, it doesn't have to eat, doesn't have to sleep. You could just sit right down there and go into meditation, and you'll have no distractions, and you can completely then attain liberation. But people don't do it hmm. because those worlds are very beautiful, there's feelings of happiness. There's feeling of ease. You can explore them because there are really millions of worlds. So there are people that love travel. Well, <laughs> you talk about, yeah, you talk about astral travel. There's where it can really happen. So you can just go anywhere you want in a, a wide range. Therefore, you can uh, think, well, what do I have? To, I don't have to get to God. You see, here, oftentimes we think we have an urge for God, mm -hmm. and I don't mean that that isn't possible. But a lot of people, the urge is to get away from suffering, to get away, of in, away from insecurity. And often, once you give them freedom from suffering and, and freedom from insecurity, then, well, God goes out the door. I've seen people like this that were religious for, for years upon years upon years, religious as children and so on. And then they sort of got into what is called the good life. And when they got in the good life, then forget it. Uh, no church or <laughs> any religious institution ever saw them again. There, there it all was. Why bother? Because that is the callousness of our egoic mind toward God.
after all, it is its God. You know, God said, you should have no other gods before me. But we have virtually thousands of gods before God and the big God ourselves. So anyway, <laughs> this happens. People get stuck literally as creation cycles go by, just loving to look at the astral landscapes. So there's a mechanism that's been built in. The manifestations of the worlds are called pralayas. The Bhagavad Gita talks about this. The lower worlds, uh, they dissolve, then they come back, they dissolve, they come back. But in, so then there is what's called a Mahapralaya. And in the Mahapralaya, all the worlds dissolve, not just the Burbhuva and Swa. All the worlds up to Satyaloka withdraw. Mm. And they dissolve. Uh, because that is a process that starts way down um, in the material world for, again, the Mahapralaya. But the people living in the upper worlds, they become aware of it. I wouldn't know what it is, but think of it as the tremor that would let you know that an earthquake is uh, is going to maybe be coming. Okay. And then they realize, oh, that's right. This isn't permanent. This isn't forever. Uh, this is ridiculous. And so they start working to move up higher. Uh, so unfortunately, we almost have to be pushed up the rung of every ladder because this is just the way with the material world as long as I, I, I is there. And these are big eyes. These are big egos. They're incredibly glorious egos, you might say. So then there has to be a way to make sure people don't don't get stuck. So <laughs> anyway, so there. So this then is a final point. What's important is that when a person enters Satyaloka, it's over, it's done. Game over. Everything has been attained. And it's a condition, like I say that's beyond what we could even think of, of God having. Uh, but And just think, even with all that wonder and perfection, that's still just a finite consciousness existing within infinite consciousness. So the person that kind of revels in God, instead of uh, looking at all the beauties of the astral world, they sort of experience God. We can't understand how that's done. But anyway, it happens. But there are those that remember. They remember the lower levels, not just the earth levels. And they decide to return, to go to those lower worlds, take on a vehicle of the type of body that's in those lower worlds, and to teach the people and remind them that there is a call upward to higher consciousness. And these are what we mean by avatars. Avatar just means coming down, descent. So that's that's who these great beings are. 
they are gods in the fullest sense of the term, and they come back specifically uh, for a, a mission which they've understood or which they have already defined. Uh, some people come back and they only work with a very, very relatively small number of people. Then there are avatars that they change the earth, they change the worlds that they go into uh, to a tremendous degree. Or they go into a world where people are evolved enough that everybody in that world listens to them and begins and and hears the upper call and then starts working better on it. Uh, the, this is the way this is the way it happens. So and each one of these, the ones we've had on Earth, for example, um, uh, Rama and Krishna, these are the ones that really stand out in Indian consciousness. So there have been many, many more that have even been written about in scriptures. But they they really they they change the world, not in the sense of changing the world in its cultural or political aspect, but they came into the world and what and their work in the world uh, changed the possibilities of that could the spiritual possibilities of the world. Sometimes, in a sense, they you might say. They, they plugged up a hole where evil could come through so that they, they freed the world from certain kinds of evil. Rama did this, for example. And then in, in others, it was uh, to uh, purely deliver people from spiritual degeneration, their own degeneration. Krishna did a lot of that. It would take much too long to go into and they leave a mark, and it's not just like on India, it's the whole human race. Um, so, so that's something to understand, that they, their work is profound, and it too is, is very, very complex. And so we can't even conceive of what these beings are, you see. Krishna even says, just an atom, uh, he, he tells Arjuna, you're just seeing an atom of what I am. Mm. And uh, therefore, people read this and they say, oh, oh, well, that was because he was the absolute God who came down to earth in human form. No, that's a mistake. Uh, he, he, was, he was as us, but we are one with God and we can share in the infinity of God in a way beyond comprehension. And therefore... Uh, these great beings, we just have no, uh, for example, I, I knew a man that uh, went to India, really kind of wandered to India. He was aware of spiritual light, but he, life, but he just was kind of a, of a nomad. And he ended up in India and he found it very exotic and he kind of traveled around and, you know, uh, looked here and there. And then finally, uh, Somebody said, look, uh, you know, the main thing about India is its religion, uh, its spiritual viewpoint. 
So, you know, I'm taking you off to see one of, uh, one, one of our, uh, one of our real treasures of India. And, uh, so he said, I'm going to take you to see this woman saint. They called her Anandamoy Ma. And she's very truly supernatural. And uh, you could use a good, devo- a good dose <laughs> of, of spirit consciousness. So you're coming with me. Uh, so he took him along, on. And of course, uh, there was the ashram crowded as usual. Lots of people here and there. And uh, then this extraordinarily, extraordinarily beautiful woman came out. um, And they said, that's Ma, that's Ma. Go up and bow down in front of her. So he went and he said when he bowed down, he felt he was looking into the heart of an atomic blast. Wow. And he said he just... When he raised up, he kind of, you know, staggered back. And that was the end of that. Uh, His whole life from then on was spiritual life, spiritual development. Uh, Those who knew him called him yogi because when most people were doing this or that or asleep, he'd be found meditating. Hmm. And... uh, but of course, he never claimed to have a comprehension of what he had seen, but he knew that what he had seen was a wake-up call. So, uh, so he got it. So we often don't understand, and uh, but nevertheless, these great beings come. And you wanted to ask me a question, I think. Oh, yes. About- um, well, just to wrap this question up, uh, since we're talking about avatars, so... When you achieve moksha, that does that mean you've basically evolved into a Christ or a Krishna or a Buddha? Absolutely, you are okay. that. That you are that kind of. You are another. You are a perfect jiva, a perfect individual atman or self. But the evolution has, uh, again, uh, think what we are compared to, say, uh, an ant. You know, yes. Uh, imagine that. Uh, so we're infinitely beyond. They're in these great avatars are in a sense infinitely beyond us, and yet themselves still, in comparison to the absolute, uh, finite. Mm. It's not easy to keep a, a perspective on that, but uh, you know, even even Arjuna had this problem. Uh, Arjuna would be so aware of the divinity of Krishna. Then he would completely, um, it would sort of go away. In fact, uh, it it's tells in Mahabharata, for example, that uh, he sometimes, uh, Krishna would look up and say, oh, it must be going to rain. And then it didn't rain. And Arjuna would make fun of him and say, well, you're a great prophet, you <laughs> you really know what's going on. You don't even know when it's going to rain or not. <laughs> and and also that uh, see in, in you see in India one of the reasons they they touch the feet of holy people is uh, of course because uh, through the feet the hands and the head 
are a lot of energies are always uh, streaming forth, forth. So to touch the feet of a holy person is to uh, enter in really and kind of contact their spiritual energies. Hmm. But also it's because, uh, remember, people weren't wearing shoes. So the feet were on the earth all the time. And, you know, they got dusty and muddy and dirty and this and that. And therefore, to touch someone's feet indicated that uh, the uh, holiness you consider that they had, that even the foot of a person, which is considered very dirty, yet you'd lay your very head there on, on the feet uh, to receive blessing. And therefore, uh, to touch a person with your foot is a great insult. Uh, very, very much so. Mm. Uh, in India, for example, if someone's walking by you, and uh, if you have clothing, say, a dhoti, uh, you know, which is kind of the equivalent of a woman's skirt, or if a woman is there, she's wearing a sari, and the, a fold of it might be further out onto the floor or something, those people sit on the floor. Uh, they're very careful. They don't even... Their foot doesn't even brush against the cloth that someone is wearing. It's considered very rude otherwise. So we're told that sometimes uh, Arjuna and Krishna, if they were resting for some reason and they were kind of close to each other, if for some reason they were in a situation where they had to uh, sleep in the same bed, Arjuna would just shove Krishna with his foot and say, hey, move over. <laughs> You know, you're taking up more. You're taking up too much room. Then, of course, on occasion, when Arjuna would permit his consciousness to go higher, because Arjuna was a great, great yogi. Uh, he could enter any world he wanted at will. Uh, and so he would, in the exalt, dies of exalted consciousness, realizing the glory of Krishna's whole being, would then, of course, apologize, as he does in the Gita, <laughs> and ask to be forgiven. So uh, the idea that the finite can move with the infinite is a reality when you're dealing with uh, these great avatars. Now, of course, a lot of people claim to be avatars that aren't, and a lot of gurus' disciples claim that the guru is an avatar when they're not. Mm -hmm.